Okay, good morning, guys. Um, just to warn you, I, I've been ill this week, so if you see me make a run for the toilet, you know where I've gone. Um, I'm still a bit dicky, but we're going to press on anyway. Before we start, I just want to recommend a book. Um, this is uh, by a guy called Jerry Bridges, and it's called Transforming Grace. And it's just a brilliant read about grace. I'd actually recommend anything by him. He's done a couple of books, um, but this is probably one of his best ones. So if you want something to read over the summer, um, I definitely, definitely strongly recommend this book. And um, if you do want to borrow it, I've got one going at the end. Um, okay, so we are um, continuing our series on Kings um, from the Old Testament, or the Book of Kings. Um, last week we looked at David. We looked at David um, being a shepherd boy and how he was really a man after God's own heart um, and what we could really learn from that. Um, we also see that, you know, David actually points us to a greater king. He points us to uh, Christ. And David Wilmers was a type of Christ and he was someone um, who was pointing to. And many of us, if you, if you know the Old Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, um, especially even in the life of David, you know that the, old, the whole of the Old Testament is really pointing uh, to Christ. And it's almost as if there's, when you read the Old Testament, you've almost got... You've got two plots going on. You've got this subplot, and you've got like a main plot. Um, you know, the subplot is the story that's going on, so the story about David, and the main plot is really pointing toward Christ. You won't necessarily see his name in the Old Testament. It's quite concealed, and then we later see that um, revealed in the New Testament. So with that in mind, this morning we are looking um, at a story that has a subplot and has a main plot. It's probably not one of... It's probably not one of, um, you know, David's most famous story, one of the ones you probably wouldn't have heard of often spoke around. Um, but we are going to look at that this week, so I really felt drawn uh, to do that. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get to work. Father, we do thank you this morning that knowing you is a real joy. Oh God, knowing you is such a pleasure, God, that actually no one has quite captivated our hearts like you. God, we never get tired of hearing about your grace. God, we never get tired about reading about your grace. Oh God, and it's that grace that we take hold of this morning, and it's because of that grace we come, knowing that we're accepted, yes. that we're chosen this morning, that we're spotless, covered in his blood this morning. So Father, we ask that you would just send your spirit now, that you would, Holy Spirit, just come and rest upon us as we look at your word again. But help us to be alert, to be, have our gaze fixed upon you. Not to feel sleepy. If we are, Holy Spirit, would you just waken us up? Would you quicken our hearts this morning to see you once again? Father, we pray that you would be glorified this morning. And it would be for your glory and for our good. Amen. Okay, so we're going to... Um, I didn't have time to do a PowerPoint, so I do apologise. Um, but if you can turn to, if you do have a Bible, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel, chapter 9. So 2, 2 Samuel, chapter 9. And I'm sort of going to try and break this, um, this sort of story. It's quite a short story. 
um, in sort of three parts. So I'm just going to read the first sort of, I think, seven verses, and then we'll come back to it a little bit later. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amil, at Lodibar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amil, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I guess everyone in, everyone in this room likes it when people are kind to them, Yeah? Put your hand up if you don't like it when someone is kind to you. Yeah, it's just a human nature. We like it when people show kindness to us, when people are just naturally kind to us. And I wonder if you can imagine him working into, walking into work tomorrow morning and your boss comes up to you or to your team and says, is there anyone who I can show kindness to this morning? Now, we're all going to, no one's going to go, no thanks. We're all going to put a hand up. We would love the kindness, especially of our boss. None of us are going to say, you know what? Why don't you be a little bit difficult to me today? Why don't you be just a bit challenged so that I can really strengthen my character, I can grow in integrity? None of us are going to say that. None of us shun kindness. We all like the kindness of another. And uh, that is someone, that is what David is doing here. He's asking a question. He said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So just a bit of a background uh, to this story because, you know, I actually probably from I can't actually remember reading this story. I think for the first time I read it was probably about a year or so ago. Then I come back to it and I felt drawn to it this morning. But it's not one of a well-known story. So just a bit of a background, just to help us put this in context. Um, David was called into Saul's service, and quite quickly, like we looked at last week, uh, David uh, Saul becomes quite jealous um, and wants to kill him. And before David goes on the run, his closest friend, which is Jonathan, comes to him and he says to him. I want to make a covenant promise with you. I want to make this promise with you, this covenant promise between you and before God. That I will promise to give you my loyal allegiance because I know God has anointed you king and actually my father Saul, the spirit of God has left him and you are now the king that God has anointed. And David responds by pledging his allegiance to him by showing him the steadfast love of the Lord to him, to his house and to his descendants forever and ever. So David makes this promise to his best friend, Jonathan. And then we fast forward a few years um, and we see that King Saul has died in battle. We see that David, um, sorry, that Jonathan's also died in battle. Now David's ruling um, over Israel. Um, there's peace over Israel. Um, and David remembers his promise. David remembers his promise that he made to Jonathan. Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And then we see, we see Ziba, Saul's servant, gets called up. Um, but David doesn't seem satisfied. It's almost as if he wants to show more kindness. He's not satisfied just to show it to Ziba. And he wants to show more of God's kindness. 
So he says, is there, is there anyone else? And uh, a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled. So there was a son uh, of Jonathan that he wants to show kindness, uh, but the author makes it clear that he was crippled. But David calls him and brings him from a place called Lodibar, which I have not got a clue where it is, but it's quite in the middle of nowhere, so I'm told. And we see this character called Mephibosheth. Now, I probably practiced that probably about 80 <laughs> times this week. So if I do slip the tongue and say, I don't know, something else, forgive me, but it is a bit of a mouthful, and I would not recommend calling your son that. But anyway, so we see Mephibosheth. He comes up, um, and he says that he falls face down and pays homage to him. Now, Mephibosheth, he would have been terrified. Yeah, he would have been absolutely terrified of being called by the king. He would have expected to die. That's what he would have been thinking. You see, because he's Jonathan's son, but he didn't know anything about the covenant that David and Jonathan had made all those years before. He's completely <coughs> oblivious to that covenant that they made. What he would have thought is, was, well, okay, I'm in the house of Saul. Uh, therefore, I'm probably going to be a threat to the king, a threat to the throne of David. So actually, if he calls me, he wants to kill me. He doesn't want me to do good. He wants to kill me. But what do we see? Instead of killing Mephibosheth, David shows him kindness by keeping him alive. So when David called Mephibosheth, there's two key things that we see straight away, two observations I just want to point out. Firstly, David wanted to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And secondly, Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. See, Mephibosheth was shown kindness for the sake of Jonathan. And this morning, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, God has shown you kindness this morning, but he's shown it for the sake of someone else. He's shown you kindness for the sake of someone else. You see, David loved Mephibosheth from the beginning. Yeah? There's nothing that he'd done that made him love him. There's nothing that he'd done to deserve the love of David, but he loved him for Jonathan's sake. And his love for Jonathan extended through generations, quite a few years. You see, Mephibosheth didn't search for the king. He wasn't going looking for the king. The king came calling on him. The king came knocking on his door, just like God has come knocking on your door. And the king called him out. He called him by name. David called him because his love for Jonathan was strong. He called him because he loved him. And the same thing, God calls us because of his son. Yeah, he doesn't call us for any other reason. He calls us because of his son. Secondly, Mephibosheth was crippled when David called him. He wasn't able to help himself. He wasn't able uh, to do anything to help himself at all. He was completely helpless. He couldn't go anywhere. And it's the same for us. When God called you, if you're a Christian this morning, you was completely dead in your sin. As I read that passage in Ephesians, you was completely dead in your sin, you was completely unable to help yourself. And the Bible speaks about how we're born into sin. In Ephesians 2, again, what I am reading, it says that by nature we were children of wrath. So it's almost when we come out straight away, we're born into sin. And you don't have to, you just have to look at children. You know, no one teaches them to be naughty, do they? Yeah, if you've got children, no one teaches kids to be naughty. Yeah, no one says, if you say to a child, don't do that, what do they do? They do that, yeah, because no one teaches them. It's something that is naturally in them. Now, obviously, you know, you bring them up in the ways of God and hopefully um, they are, do become obedient. But initially, you're born into sin. And that was the same for us. When God called us, we were sinners and born into sin. 
But Romans 5 verse 8, it says this, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And I think it's really important that we remember that. It was whilst we were still sinners, it was whilst we were crippled that he died for us. None of us were sorted when Christ called us. Yeah, none of us were good people, as it were, when Christ called us. None of us were sorted. See, Mephibosheth deserved death, but we were shown kindness. He deserved actually death, but he got kindness from David. And I think often just in this culture, and I think I, can, I see it myself often as well, that we can often get into this frame of mind or, or way of thinking that, um, that we deserve something. Put your hand up if you think you deserve something. Do we think that sometimes? Yeah, yeah? and often this is sense of entitlement. I, I deserve that. And I think it's often in this, this culture that we live in, oh, you deserve to be happy. You deserve that job. You deserve that promotion. You deserve to be married. You deserve kids. You deserve that money. And often when it, you know, when it doesn't happen, what do we do? We can sometimes get maybe a little bit frustrated. We can get a little bit annoyed, get our backs up a little bit. Why is that? Because we think we deserve something. And we say things like, oh man, I can't believe it's happened to me. I can't believe it's happened to me. What does the Bible tell us? It says the wages of sin is death. And actually, if we've all sinned, therefore surely we all deserve death. Now actually, he gives graciously to us. He gives many good gifts. But we don't deserve any of those gifts at all. He's very gracious to us. See, we've received grace from God, but actually we don't deserve that. So when tempted to think that actually I deserve something or I'm entitled to that, you know, we need to remember that all, all the things that we've got, all these gifts from him are all from him because he's a gracious father. We've deserved death, but we've got grace instead. Let's just look at the next part of the verse, just pick up verse 7 uh, again and we'll read down to verse 11. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring him in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at, the king's table, at, the, at my table. As I had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord king commanded his, uh, commands his servant, so will your servant do. Let's just pause there for a moment. Okay, so David had this covenant uh, with Jonathan. He was almost quite obligated uh, to be merciful to his family. You know, David could have actually just kept Mephibosheth alive. That's all he could have done. That's all he was obligated to do, really. But again, we, just, we catch a glimpse of, of David's heart and we catch a glimpse of actually what he was really like. He was a man who was generous. He was a man with integrity. And he was a man who was faithful. And we see here that he was a man of his word. David didn't just keep him alive, even though that would have been enough. He restored to him all the land of Saul that had been taken, and he seated him at the king's 
table. So we have this cripple who deserves death, but has received kindness and abundance. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, he says, grace always abounds. Grace must never be thought of in a static, mechanical, mercenary terms. No, there is no measure to grace, no limit. It is illimitable. And that's what we see that's going on with Mephibosheth. David has been gracious to him. He's blessed him abundantly. Firstly, we see he gets the property of Saul's estate. So instantly he would have become quite a wealthy man. You see, overnight, you know, it's like us winning the lottery, if any of us did the lottery. Maybe you do, I don't know. But it's like us becoming instantly rich overnight. Secondly, he gets the privilege of eating at the king's table. So Mephibosheth was elevated to a place at the king's table. He would have been eating with all the king's sons. And I just wonder how he would have, how he would have felt. You know, this is one guy who's, who's crippled, you know, and potentially would have eaten off the floor, who would have eaten, you know, just dregs. And now straight away he's eating with the king and the king's sons. Would he have felt a bit out of place? Would he have felt just a bit odd? And I was thinking, okay, imagine for us, imagine that we're, imagine we're at the Olympics. I'm sure some of you have been or are going. And imagine maybe you're at Wimbledon. Imagine uh, King Harry comes out and you're just walking around, just minding your business. And he says, Phil, there's a ticket. You can go and sit in the Royal Box. And you're like, what, for me? Yeah, go and sit in the Royal Box. So Phil goes up to sit in the Royal Box. You know, Middleton's there. Everyone's there doing their thing in the Royal Box. And there's Phil sitting there. I would imagine you might feel a little bit awkward. Because I know I would. If you're in a Royal Box somewhere where you don't deserve to be, you feel a little bit Awkward because you've not earned to be there. Now, I mean, they've not actually earned to be there, but you know what I mean, yeah? Okay, but you're in the royal box and you just probably feel a little bit awkward. You probably might keep your head down low a little bit, although the cameras probably would be on you thinking, who's this guy? <laughs> but see, that's what's happened to Mephibosheth. He was a, a cripple and then straight away he's elevated to a high place at the king's table, eating with the king and with David's sons. And after Mephibosheth had been called... His life spared, lamb restored to him, and then given at the king's table. How does he respond to the kindness of David? How does he respond to David's kindness? In verse 8, we read, And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? See, he knows that he's received kindness. He knows that he's received grace. He knows that he doesn't deserve it because he's a dead dog. His response is homage, and that is another word for adoration or worship or praise. He responds to David with a grateful and thankful heart. It's almost as if he couldn't believe how kind David had been to him. He couldn't believe the kindness that he'd received. It's almost like that's the only way he could respond. He's almost as if he was shocked. So this morning, how do you respond to the grace of God? How do you respond to the grace of God in your life? And I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about this saving grace. I'm talking about this grace that surrounds us every day, regardless of your situation, the grace that is there for us every day, this common grace that is available to us, that enables us to breathe, that enables us to live, to work, to have fun, to enjoy creation, family, friends, church. What's your response is it a life of worship? Is it a life of paying homage to him and adoration? Or is it, well, it's, it's grace. Yeah, I can do what I want. I can do what I want. 
Because his grace, you see, should push us into worship. That's the response that I thank for. Someone who's received grace, it should push us into worship. Grace doesn't mean that, okay, well, I can do what I want because I'm loved and I'm saved and I'm accepted. You are, that's true. But what you have is that's a cheap view of grace. Romans 6, uh, at the beginning, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? See, when opportunities come along to sin, it's not the rules that are going to stop us from doing something that we shouldn't do, whatever it may be. It's the grace of God that stops us. It's the grace of God that really arrests our hearts and pushes us into him and away from sin. See, Mephibosheth was overwhelmed by the grace and kindness of David, so much so that he paid homage. Wow, a dead dog such as I, that you should show me kindness. And he worshipped him. And our response should be, wow, a sinner, the vilest of sinners can still come. And our response is worship because we see what he's done for us. Let us never become familiar with the grace of God. Okay, finally, we've through it this morning. Verse 11. To the end, let's pick up those verses again. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. <clears throat> and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Often when we look at the Christian life, or I suppose the Christian experience, often it can be broken down into three sort of sections. Bear with me, this is a little bit theology at you this morning. Um, often they would say, you know, it's with justification, sanctification, and glorification. So we've got justification that as, as sinners we've been declared righteous before a holy God through faith in Christ. It's sanctification, the fact that uh, this ongoing walk with him, that we're becoming more like Christ, we're becoming more like Jesus. Then glorification, that one day when we leave this earth, we're going to become like him. And I think that we would all agree that we're all justified by grace. You know, Owen read it out in Ephesians 2, that we are justified by grace. And I think we'd also say that actually we've, we've been purchased for eternal life, and that was done by grace, so the sense that justified by grace and also glorified by grace as well. But I think when it comes to sanctification, often there's this, I think we can have this view, and it might be a subconscious view, I don't think it's always conscious, um, that it's almost like we've got a mixture of personal performance and God's grace. And I don't think... I don't believe that actually we've sorted in our head that we've got, okay, so the left side of my is 50% God's grace and the right side is 50% of my performance. I don't think it works like that. I think it's just a subconscious assumption that comes from our own sort of innate legalism that we all have, that is actually there, that actually is reinforced by the Christian culture that we live in is often fueled by that as well, whether that's, well, it's not a good thing, but that's often the way it is. I just want to tell you about a story about Steve, the new Christian. So Steve, not Steve Gordes. Um, so this Steve, the new Christian, he, he comes to church um, one Sunday, and he's, he doesn't come from a Christian background at all, so he, he steps into church. He's a bit sceptical of it all. 
But he puts up with it anyway, he's sort of singing some of the songs, and then bang, he encounters the grace of God. He meets Jesus for the first time in worship. And, you know, he responds when the, you know, when the vicar or the pastor does an altar call, he responds, goes to the front, and he's born again, and he's overwhelmed and just besotted by the grace of God. The next week, he, he comes along, and, you know, so he's now in his life, he's got church, he's got church once a week. The pastor started speaking about personal devotion and reading your Bible and how you know, it's really important to do that, that you, know, you get to know God, you, you know, get to know what he's like, you become more like him in doing that. So Steve, think, okay, so I've got church once a week, okay, I've now got my Bible as well, so I've got church once a week, I've got my Bible every day. Okay, so let's do it, okay, cool. At the end of the meeting, the executive pastor gets up and he says, guys, just want to encourage you, we've got a prayer meeting this week, we're going to come and pray, we've got a few things that we're going to pray into that we really want to see God move in and break into our community. So Steve's thinking, okay, I've got church once a week, I've got Bible every day, I've got this prayer meeting once, once a month. Okay, cool, so that's three things. He goes to the prayer meeting and he meets, um, he meets Robert. Robert comes up to him and says, Steve, I really appreciate your prayers, mate. You know, I'm just going through a bit, of a bit of a tough time and I just appreciate you just to pray for me, my family are going through it. We've got this thing coming up in about four or five months. And if you could just pray every day for me, I'd really appreciate that. So Steve's thinking, okay. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, yeah, of course, man. I'm with you in prayer, brother. I'm with you. I'll pray for you. So he's thinking, okay, so I've got church once a week. <coughs> Forget him now. I've got church once a week. I've got my Bible. Thanks, Kim. I've got my Bible every day. I've got this prayer meeting. Then I've got to pray for Robert. And I probably should pray for Michael and Martin as well. I probably should pray for my family because I don't know Christ yet. Okay, so I'm praying as well. Then the next week he goes to church. We get in the drift, yeah? The pastor starts speaking about fasting and spiritual disciplines and tithing. <laughs> so Steve's thinking, wow, well, okay. I've got church once a week. I've got my Bible every day. I've got a prayer meeting. I'm praying for Rob and the rest of the world. And then I'm also fasting. What is it, once a week or once a month? And then, okay, tithing as well. So I'm going to give some money as well. Then on the way out, he meets Simon. And Simon says... You know, you, I've been watching you. Just, you need to just watch your language a little bit and just watch maybe some of the things you do at the weekend. Maybe stop drinking a little bit. Just need to cut back on it. And before we know it, Steve is thinking, oh, my life. All these things that I've got to do to please God. All these things that I've almost got to perform for God. And it's happened just like that. And the thing is, these are all good things. And you might think, okay, that sounds a little bit extreme, but often for the unchurched person, someone with that background, like Steve, if he comes into this and we, we're saying all these things, which are important things to do, he can sort of just think, okay, well, okay, so I've got to perform for God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't pursue spiritual disciplines. I'm going to read a quote uh, from this book from Jerry Bridges. He says, I do think we should actively promote spiritual disciplines that are absolutely necessary for growth in our Christian lives. And since ours is largely an undisciplined age, many believers are losing out on the benefits of those disciplines that could help them grow in maturity in Christ. But we should promote them as benefits, not duties. Perhaps we should stop talking about being faithful to have a quiet time with God each day as if we were doing something to earn a reward, it would be better to talk about the privilege of spending time with the God of the universe and the importance for our own sake of being consistent in that practice. 
And he later on and says shortly, he says, spiritual disciplines are provided for our good, not our bondage. They are privileges to be used, not duties to be performed. And I think that is all true. But unless we, unless we have a right understanding of grace, we're going to become like Stephen. We're going to fall into this sort of performance trap or this performance treadmill. See, often we often think that it's justification by grace, sanctification by works, and then glorification by grace. But actually, when you read this story, the first time we hear about Mephibosheth in verse 3, it says he was crippled in his feet. And at the end of the story in verse 13, although he's now eating at the king's table and he's, you know, he's financially blessed and he's a wealthy man, what does it say? He says he was still lame in both his feet. Also, four times it tells us that Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. Three of those times it says always. That's why it's important to pay attention to detail. See, Mephibosheth never got over his crippled condition. He never got to the place where he could leave the king's table and make it on his own. He never got to the place where he can say to Dave, you know what, Dave? I'm corny. I, I, I don't, you know, I've, I've, had your, I've had your food. I've had your money. I'm corny. I'm going to go and do it my way. He always ate at the king's table. You see, it's justification by grace. It's glorification by grace. And actually in the middle, we've got sanctification by grace as well. I'll give you just a personal example. I know from, for myself, I'm probably I'm quite a driven person, quite a, yeah, quite a doer. I like doing stuff, I like accomplishing someone. I like lists. I'm like my dad. I never thought I would become a list man, <laughs> but I've become a list man. And shall I will tell you, I, I'm a list man. I, I like doing stuff. If I'm not careful, though, that can really that can transfer into my walk with God. If I'm not careful, the way I am, just my own personal, the way he's made me, that can transfer into my walk with God. So much so that I can get up in the morning, or middle of the night these days, get up, you know, read the Bible and think, yeah, okay, I've done it today, cool. I've, I've earned his favour today, or I must do that, I must tick that off my list. So often, you know, most mornings, I often remind myself, okay, God, it's nothing to do with me, it's all a work of your grace in my life. There's no good in me at all. It's all a work of your grace. And I have to be intentional about doing that because I know otherwise I'm not. I can easily just slip into that, okay, I'm performing for God. You see, the whole entire Christian life from start to completion is lived on the basis of God's grace to us through Christ. I'll say that again. The whole entire Christian life from start to finish is lived on the basis of grace to us through Christ. And I think we can, know, we can know this truth in our head, but often sometimes the way it plays out just can look a little bit different. Give, just give an example. If you, imagine you've had a good week, you've read the Bible, you've prayed, you've even fasted, you've given up Twitter, you've given up Facebook, you know, you've given up those things. You've had a good week. And then comes Steve's mate. He's not a Christian. And you just, the opportunity comes up and you just share the gospel. You're like... Man, he's there, he falls down, he's filled with the Spirit, he's speaking in tongues, and he's saved. Just because you've shared the gospel, you've stepped out because you've had a good week. Now, the next week comes along, you've slept in a few times, you've not, you've not read the Bible, you've not prayed much, you've said something that you shouldn't have said, you've seen something you probably shouldn't have seen, and that same opportunity comes up again. And what do you do? Hey, you may well 
share the gospel, you might not do it with as much confidence as before. Or actually, you may just, okay, oh, I don't feel confident, I don't feel worthy enough to share the gospel. Or maybe that's just me thinking that. But I think often that can be what it's like. We think that we're not worthy to share the gospel with someone. No, we're not. But you wasn't worthy the week before when you read your Bible, you prayed, you done all those things. It doesn't make a bit of difference to him at all. Or your standing doesn't anyway. He says our works are like filthy rags towards him. And actually the real meaning of that is a little bit more explicit. But it means that we're filthy rags, our good works towards him. But it's so easy to fall into the, this sort of performance treadmill. We often don't even know it's happening. You know, how do you feel after you've had a quiet time? Maybe just ask yourself, how do you feel when you've had, when you've spent some time in him? Do you feel great because you've encountered him? You've really sort of pressed into him, he spoke to you. Or do you feel like, tick off the list, that's one more thing to learn. I've earned some favour from God today. And it might, be, it might not be as obvious as that. But often, if we're being honest, I think that's how we can sometimes feel and sometimes how it can be. So this morning, if you're, if you're living on you know, like a performance treadmill, you can get off it because it's quite tiring. In fact, it's really exhausting trying to please someone that you can't. It's really tiring. So you can. You can jump off this morning and you can receive grace from him this morning. See, we need to remember that we were brought into God's kingdom by grace, that we're sanctified by grace, that we receive the blessings from him by grace, that we serve him out of a place of grace, that we're motivated to obey from a place of grace, that we receive strength to endure the hardships by grace, and then ultimately that we're glorified by grace. See, the Christian life is lived under the reign of God's grace to us through Christ. So just to conclude, Mephibosheth had learned, you know, he'd been restored, uh, the land had been restored to him because David was gracious to him. David called him to the king's table because he was gracious, because he wanted to extend grace to him. And Mephibosheth stayed at the king's table as well, because he knew that he couldn't make it by himself. He knew that he needed the grace and kindness of David, so he stayed at the king's table. He ate there always. And we need to stay at the king's table. We need to be the same. We need to stay at the king's table every day if we're, gonna, if we're really going to make it and walk with him. We need to stay at the king's table. We need to live and be transformed by the grace of God. And not try and perform for him, not try and earn his favour because it's tiring and you won't be able to do it. So we see David really demonstrates to us the grace of God. If we just look at David, we see man, he was a man who knew God, who demonstrated the grace of God. David showed grace to someone who couldn't repay him. Mephibosheth was crippled in his feet and couldn't repay him. And David knew that, yet he still extended grace upon grace to him. Like Mephibosheth, we can never repay God for what he's done for us in Christ. But what we do need to do, we need to have a high view of grace. We need to have a high view, not a cheap view. We need to know that actually, man, this cost him everything. This cost his son everything. So this morning, we can know that we're, we're called and accepted because of his grace, that he blesses us, only because he's gracious. 
And actually we can live the Christian life in his grace and become sanctified by his grace. So, you know, in a minute, when we, I think we're going to sing a song, that's what I feel, or tomorrow, or the next day, when you come to God, don't come to him to please him, you come to him because he's pleased with you already. That's why you come, because he's pleased already. So if we, can, if we can just stand where we are, I think we can, we've just got a bit of time and